one time well, we went there one time after it was burnt down and I mean like there was a girl that we used to take with us and she claimed to be a medium or something like that you know but like as soon as we pulled up she like got sick like immediately she had to get out of the car and puke uh, she was like get me the fuck out of here she was like I, I feel like you know I feel like I've got like a hundred people just staring at me you know like threatening energy but yes yeah, it's uh place place is crazy man there's some really dark energy there Produced and recorded at Pure Grain Studios. I'm Nathan Isaac, and this is Pennyroyal. He mentioned to me, he said he saw a werewolf. Did he tell you about the werewolf? Oh, yeah, on 39, yeah. No, 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 he saw a werewolf on our street. What? At, he not tell he you this? Me that. <laughs> when he was here the other weekend, did you not hear this? Or last week? Yeah, maybe, I, I don't know. But So Phil said that, you know... I think it was Phil. My my ex girlfriend saw one definitely. I think she sent oh, you a message about it. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, we talked about. It yeah, yeah. Whenever we first got together, that like you know we kind of like exchanged our stories in that way. Like yeah, she saw. She said she said it was like a humanoid, like a dog man is like what I've seen it like yeah. referred to as not a werewolf that entails like a transformation. Right, you know? right, right, right. But like uh, like a dog man, like you know, it could have been some crazy people fucking a wolf or something. You know, yeah. never know. But she, where did uh, she see that at? Like out, uh, it was out like South Twenty Seven, like a uh, Tateville area, like where her mom lives out there. There's like that? a uh, what part of like the past Burnside, like oh past Burnside, yeah, like on on South Twenty Seven, like past the Marina, probably like a mile and a half, something like that. Okay. Yeah, um, in between Garland Bend and Keno. Yeah, time. and I mean, there's there's was this the Keno monster kind of thing? Uh, more Bigfooty, but yeah. it's not really been seen, you know. Like, but I mean, they, you know, they brought something about that up on that Hellier thing because they were at that cave on Strawberry, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, that those caves all connect over to that side, Blue John, and all that area over there. It's all it's right beside each other. Technically, it's just you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean that yeah, Burnside. You go straight north, and yeah. that's fucking Mount Victory. Fucking you know, runs right beside and uh, Kino and all shit. that stuff. Yeah, Omega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Omega's crazy. I've been out Omega's there. Uh, I yeah, I was out there camping one night with my buddy Josh, and we like we swore we saw something in the woods, like moving around, like a big something big. You know, uh, never like we were we never we weren't ever like make out what it was, but like. It was there was something making noise that was bigger than like a a bop or you know a quadruped yeah. animal or something. like that. I mean, that. it's weird too when you think about that. <clears throat> I mean, like just the concept of Omega Park, yeah. and it be, and like names mean things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and definitely like there is. I wanted to say that when we were interviewing uh, Marco earlier, it's toponography. You know this this concept that like either a place is named something because of what will be seen there mm-hmm. or because of what it's named things will be seen there you know what i mean like it's it's one of the two the street where we live 
on the surface looks like a fairly mundane neighborhood. But dig a little deeper into the local newspaper archives and talk to folks that have lived here their whole lives, and you uncover an incredible tapestry of stories. Stories about twin sisters in the 1970s interacting with beings of light that rose up through the floor of their home from some other dimension to grant them visions of the future. Dogmen on the loose looking through the windows of houses up and down the street. Twin brothers who accidentally shot and killed each other in a grisly scene. The strange suicide of a local Freemason. And the unsolved murders of a young woman and child that has haunted Somerset for more than 25 years. So then you've got to wonder, is there something in this area that's causing a distortion like that? Is there a reason that all of these odd events are clustering in this area. And then you pull back and you you have to wonder why it's happening in Pulaski County. And one of the first things that jumped out at me in terms of this street is that a nearby street is called Mound Street. And immediately I started to think about the Adena Mounds and the prehistoric earthworks of uh, Native American people. So I wondered, is it possible that there's a mound nearby? Well, it turns out there are ancient mounds, ancient Adena mounds, in Pulaski County, just off North Highway 39, near the farm of well-known artist Dan Dutton. Um, It occurred in dreams that I had, so I always pay attention or perk up in things that have to do with, with black jaguars and in any shape, form, or fashion. So and there are only two gorges that have jaguars on them. And one of them was found in a mound that is somewhere on Crab Orchard Road, a.k.a. Highway 39, between here and Lancaster or somewhere. I'm not quite sure. And this paper I read did show the, the topographic location of it, I'm pretty sure. It showed some, but it was apparently much eroded by plowing. Uh, it may be even more so now. So whether it's still a mound or not is a question. But it was excavated at one point in time, and this <clears throat> and this gorget was found there that has a jaguar on it. So the reason I was so interested in this is I made copies of all of the rattlesnake ones. I was like, there's a catalog of all of them. So I went and I made a copy of every one of the designs because I thought if I can see all of them, if I can do all of them and understand what they have in common, uh, then I'll understand what this cult symbol is, you know, what it means. There's a belief amongst some occultists like Kenneth Grant and Nima that the Adena and the Hopewell possibly the Cherokee, but ancient Native American peoples had opened a gateway through ritual into the abyss, to the night side of the Tree of Life, and that that gateway was never closed. I asked parapolitical researcher Stephen Snyder about Grant's belief and his statements regarding the Adena and the Adena Mounds and how they may be indicative of this gateway the 
two of the tribes that had dealings in Kentucky and also West Virginia and Ohio that are very interesting to me are the Adena and the Hopewell. And in the case of the Hopewell especially, there's been very compelling evidence that they used psychedelics in some of their rituals. They've found, you know, potential references to magic mushrooms. And I think they even had these kind of sorcerer sticks, essentially, that had mushroom caps at the uh, tip of them and so forth. So there seems to have been this current of psychedelics in their culture. And then also, uh, in the case of the Hopewell, they've also found... uh, a lot of evidence of scrying as well through obsidian and that type of things. And scrying is a, a very interesting technique. Uh, in addition to the Hopewell, it also seems like the Aztecs used it. And it was also very popular in European ceremonial magic. Of course, John D. this was the technique that he principally used to derive the Enochian keys from and so forth. And then it wasn't, it kind of fell out of favor for a time, but it was really rediscovered uh, extensively in the late 19th century going into the 20th. The Golden Dawn used scrying, Crowley used scrying, the Ur group, which uh, a young Julius of Oli had cut his uh, metaphysical teeth in, used scrying. So a lot of these really just high ceremonial magicians really seem to swear by this technique. I don't really know what it is about it, but it is apparently highly effective. And I mean, even Alan Greenfield actually talks at length about uh, the extensive work that he did scrying in one of his more recent books as well. So uh, it's very interesting that the Hopewell had this tradition of scrying and psychedelic drugs. And um, one of the interesting things that Peter Lavenda gets into in the first book of the Sinister Forces trilogy was some of the theories that Kenneth Grant had surrounding uh, the area with West Virginia and Kentucky. Kenneth Grant, of course, was a disciple at Aleister Crowley. He was the one who, you know, kind of devised the whole Typhonian tradition, and this brought in the Lovecraftian space gods and all this other type of stuff into it. And um, Grant essentially argued that the Adina had used uh, Kentucky to pierce the veal of the Uh, the abyss, essentially, and had created a window area there into the abyss. And in Grant's system, you have two trees of life. You have the light tree of life and the night side tree of life, the dark tree of life, whatever you want to call it. And the night side tree of life is where these, you know, Lovecraftian space god entities come from and so forth. As much high strangeness as we were about to discover beneath our feet right here in Somerset and Pulaski County. It might be easy to believe that a gateway to the abyss was left open, and through that opening poured in an army of UFOs, Bigfoots, vampires, dogmen, interdimensional beings, demigods, old gods, black panthers, and dragons. All in all, an army of alien space bats, any one of which might just as well be the culprit behind the Penny Royal mystery. Alien space bats was an appropriate description. It's a phrase often used to describe bad science fiction writing, in which the offending author introduces a plotline that can only be explained by some unbelievable or supernatural means. The story ventures into alien space bat territory. The more people we interviewed, the weirder and stranger the stories got. It turned out that this entire area, from Hopkinsville all the way across the Penny Royal to Elkhorn City, there were hundreds of stories of high strangeness, unexplainable phenomena, and encounters with the otherworldly. And the weirdness seemed to center, somehow, on Pulaski County. When I started the process of gathering eyewitness testimony and local folklore, the first place I visited 
was the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center, located conveniently here in downtown Somerset, headquartered in the old and very haunted Carnegie Building. Its director and curator, Kyle Cadell, who also serves as an associate producer for this show, collects stories of the weird and bizarre from visitors to his museum from across Kentucky and the U.S. The MUFON reporting website, the Mutual UFO Network reporting website, is open to anyone. You don't have to have a MUFON account to register a report. They delete most reports that aren't specifically UFO, like spacecrafts, alien beings, or like flying humanoid or flying creatures. So it's not something that you can use for, you know, Bigfoot sightings or ghost sightings or anything, which is why we need to, you know. (laughs) Um, But, and it's still the best, like, UFO, unidentified flying object, reporting database there is it's been around forever everyone mufon's the first organization organization you think of to use and it's it's excellent you know and so we in plessy county have several entries and uh my absolute favorite out of all of them was actually from 2014 uh, from this town called Burnside, Kentucky, here in Pulaski County. And that's just over Lake Cumberland from Somerset. And um, in 2014, at about 2.30 in the morning, and this report has a highly detailed where their daughter just got out of the hospital. And like, so there's a full backstory of what's happened. And she just, this woman or man gets home at two 30 in the morning, uh, gets out of the car and is walking towards their house. And here's this like swoosh sound above them. And they look up and there's a stingray, a giant flying stingray that they said is about 150 feet wide or more. It was bigger than the gap between them and their neighbor's house. Uh, that's how they were able to estimate. And it was just the word that they used, and this really even sells their eyewitness description to me, is undulated. Uh, that this, And that's how you would describe a stingray moving through the ocean, like the ripples in its body. That's that's undulation. And so they said that this creature undulated in the sky over them. And uh, when it got directly overhead, overhead, they saw that it was actually transparent, that there was a definite outline of this creature, and they could even see the flesh of the body. But if they looked hard enough, they could see the stars through the body of the stingray. And uh, they said the only sound it made was the very beginning swish. They saw it, it moved pretty quickly. It took about two minutes for them for it to get out of its uh, line of sight. But it was also pretty close to the house. So a tree line would quickly cover that. Um, and they said that it also had either what looked like a tail uh, behind it or what looked more accurately like legs, like back hind legs, like held together, like when a cat jumps <laughs> and that was right behind it. And they just watched it and thought, what the hell? And uh, asked their neighbors the next day and no one else saw it. So that's uh, here in Blasky. The Mutual UFO Network's official database reports a large number of unidentified flying objects in the skies over Somerset and the surrounding Pennyroyal Plateau. 
In addition to the reports found in the unofficial databases online, I personally have spoken to dozens of eyewitnesses who've encountered anomalies and events they couldn't explain. Among these is an individual who, while driving between work sites during the day, witnessed a spinning cylinder in the sky floating above the John Sherman Cooper power plant just outside of Somerset on the Cumberland River. Another individual I interviewed was on an ATV with a group of friends during a summer weekend in or around 2005 when they encountered an unidentified craft that hit them with a beam of light, causing time to seemingly stop before they lost all consciousness. Upon waking, they were still in the ATV, which sat parked in the woods. All of the witnesses reported at least three hours of missing time. A few months later, the primary witness I interviewed reported that he was experiencing pain and inflammation in a cyst that had appeared on his back. When the cyst ruptured, a series of small, copper-like balls came out of the wound. These were gathered and sent for analysis, which was inconclusive as to their origins. In a great newspaper article from May 1971, massive tracks from an unknown wolf-like or canine creature were reported in the Crab Orchard Road area of Pulaski County near Pittman Creek. The owner of the property placed wooden boards over the tracks to preserve them until the reporter from the newspaper arrived. The canine-like creature left the tracks in mud near the owner's barn after tornadoes ripped through the area a few days before. A local conservation officer that visited the farm and observed the tracks stated that the tracks looked like a dog's track, but if those tracks were made by a dog, it was a monstrous dog. There are also reports from the late 1800s and early 1900s about incidents that occurred on the Pulaski and Casey County line. Individuals in that area stated that they witnessed a creature that was killing and slaughtering dozens and dozens of dogs of local residents, ripping their heads off. I mean, it it became such a problem that a posse was formed and hunters went into the woods to find this creature and people did see it. And then, and there were different descriptions. There were, it was as if it was a shifting thing and it was here for only a small amount of time. And then it vanished. No more sightings. No one said they killed it. No one reported recovering the carcass of a creature, but it was as if the thing had come from another dimension, had hunted here, had killed these animals, targeting dogs specifically and then had just vanished. In the back of the farm, back here, near the back barn, right at the edge of where Aunt Lou's property started there. Enormously, and my mom said that this, this bright light descended out of the sky, you know, descended all the way down to, to in front of them there, and just stayed there in front of them for a length of time and then shot off. That's all there was to it. There was no no sighting of aliens or anything at all. No description of it. I said, was it some kind of object? Like a, you know, like a, she had watched television, so she knew what a flying saucer was, right? You know, it was like, is it something like that? Is it, was it like an object in it, like a saucer or a ball or anything? And she was like, no, it was a, it was just bright light. An angel of God coming down. The scariest down. one, I suppose, was 
One night we saw this white orb look like the moon. And, and I remember my mom saying, and I was like 16. And mom said, well, that's funny. The moon's setting off early tonight. And we kept an eye on it, kept watching it, and it began to descend up in the neighbor's backyards, what it looked like. So she called the neighbor guy out the road and said, well, can, I know this is a strange question, but can you see the moon? And he said, yeah, it's just coming up over your house, mm. which would have been more in the easterly direction. Oh, we were seeing weird. this in the west. And so she's like, well, I'm just going to get my boots on and take my shotgun and go up there and see what it is. And I scared the snot out of me. So she went, and the dogs were going crazy, barking and carrying on and snarling. And she and the dogs went up the hill, and she got halfway up the hill and said that she felt warm up that way and that the dogs were just going all nuts the further up they went. And so she started back to the house, and they beat her home and like because I was on the front porch, um, you know, yelping and like they'd been beaten or whatever, ran into their dog houses. My cousin went up there a couple of days later and found a perfectly burnt circle onto the grass in the backyard of the neighbor's house. We get back to the house, and we put up the tree and whatever, and then that whole night, like, I can't really go to sleep, but, you know, keep getting that feeling. And so it's dark, everybody's gone to bed, I'm laying there in my room, and when the streetlight would kick on, it just shine through the sh- the shutters there on my window, you know? And so I turn up, and I'm looking out there, and I see these fucking little white critters, like about three foot tall, run from the barn up to the street lamp, and they're like, you know, jumping up, trying to catch snowflakes and stuff like that, and coming up and pecking on the wall right below my window there and stuff. I, I was coming home from Waynesboro when that happened, I'm sure. I was coming home from, from Craig and Debbie's house from up near Beat Leach. <laughs> Is that really when that happened? Yeah, that would be whenever that would have happened. And yeah, that's that's definitely, it would have been one of those trips home. Because I was coming in, driving in like the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning or something like that. Um, the road is very abandoned. Uh, it had mist on it, you know, that kind of whenever you're driving to it, it it's coming at you like this, like coming inward at you. And something flew across the front of the windshield of the through the lights of the car and then seemingly like over the over the top of the windshield, too. It was like it swooped in and came right up but at an angle coming across. So then I saw the bottom of it, and I just was driving. You know, it's like it's always a little startling if a bird or something flies into the lights and it's in front of you suddenly, and you don't know if you hit it or not hit it for an instant or what is happening. It's a little startling, and this was kind of like that, but not real bad either. It was like gone in a flash. And then I was like, what was that that you thought you saw that was flying across the windshield. It was like a blizzard with wings. You know, like a, it's like a, it's almost like a stereotypical kind of dragon, like a, a alligator, flying alligator like creature that was like flying through and happened to fly through your headlights suddenly. And it happened so quickly, it was gone. 
seemed like could have been a flying squirrel or something like that, but <clears throat> not shaped like a flying squirrel, shaped like a flying lizard. Did you, uh, you tell, did you ask a physicist about this? No. No. I mean, it happened so suddenly. No. I was like, then I was like, are you tripping or no. what? I mean, you know, that isn't real. Do you, do you have a response like that? That isn't possibly real. So then there's a moment that your mind has to suspend disbelief and say, wait a minute, what was that that I saw actually? You know, what really did I see? And the only thing that I could remember was, it was a flying lizard. There's another place in North America that experiences phenomena eerily similar to what's been reported here in Somerset and Pulaski County. And that place is Sedona, Arizona. It's interesting that the second largest spike in geomagnetic energy welling up from within the Earth is centered on Sedona. And in addition to the strong geomagnetic forces, Sedona is also located above a massive vein of quartz crystals. It's so large that quartz actually juts up from the surface of the surrounding red desert. Because of the energies people believe are there, coupled with the quartz, Sedona has become a mecca for energy workers and healers and New Age practitioners and artists and seekers and a destination for anyone looking for answers to the mysteries. I had read years ago that Sedona reported the highest number of UFO sightings in North America and was one of the most popular destinations to spot UFOs. Tourists arrive daily to go on UFO sighting tours, armed with night vision goggles, binoculars, and telescopes. And they consistently report seeing orbs, portals, flying saucers, and other unidentified aerial phenomena, in addition to all sorts of high strangeness. And don't forget that the Bradshaw Ranch is located in Sedona, and it's one of those special places, too, where so many odd and weird phenomena are present. After I saw the articles discussing the massive spike of geomagnetic energy in Sedona, I was curious if that was what was responsible for so many people seeing UFOs in that area. Was the intense geomagnetic energy acting on people's brains in strange ways and causing them to see lights in the sky and experience perceptual distortions in space and time? So I thought, no problem. I can test that theory. NASA and other agencies provide a large amount of their satellite data and imagery to the public for free, and it was easy for me to grab the satellite data for geomagnetic field intensity and drop that into Google Earth, and boom, there it was. Sedona lit up. And when I looked closer at the entire map of North America, I realized that, in fact, there were three massive spikes of geomagnetic energy. One in Sedona, one in southern Alaska, and one in the southern U.S. I thought, great, it's not too far from where we are. I can go there. I can ask the people if they're experiencing the same phenomena there that people are experiencing in Sedona. So I zoom all the way down, and lo and behold, it was Somerset, Kentucky. It was Pulaski County. It turns out the largest spike of geomagnetic energy in North America is beneath the Penny Royal, with Pulaski County and Somerset sitting at the heart 
of what NASA refers to as the Kentucky Anomaly. Could this be what's responsible for the high strangeness in this area? When you hit a piece of quartz with an extremely powerful electromagnetic field, the quartz can experience mechanical stress, which causes it to produce an electric charge. This is known as the piezoelectric effect and was first observed in quartz as well as other naturally occurring crystals in 1880 by the Curie brothers. Since then, the piezoelectric effect has transformed society, making possible everything from clocks to lasers, microscopes, diesel engines, inkjet printers, x-ray machines, and cigarette lighters. Quartz crystals can also be used in hearing aids to transmit radio waves using the piezoelectric effect, as demonstrated by Andrea Puharic in 1948. So then we find ourselves living in a region rich with a heavy distribution of quartz, atop the largest and most intense spike of geomagnetic energy in North America and the Western Hemisphere. The piezoelectric properties of the quartz in this region, coupled with the geomagnetic fields, would therefore translate into a naturally electrified area, possibly capable of affecting or interfering with the electrical systems of the living things inhabiting Pulaski County and the Penny Royal. Darian West, my research partner and an associate producer for this show, found an enormous amount of research that indicates a direct correlation between intense geomagnetic and electromagnetic fields and their effects on the brain. Yeah, so if you look at if you look at um violence and 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 who who causes violence, it's the um people in uh who are called psychotic. These are these are uh people who have uh schizophrenia or bipolar disorder then the traditional uh definition of psychosis most violence um is committed by by people who are psychotic right um so uh this isn't this isn't true of like just any domestic violence but sort of you know i guess you call it hyper violence or, or really graphic physical violence um is strongly correlated with psychosis, right? And uh, the this region, not Somerset itself. It, Somerset is on the next highest peak, but east of here, uh, at, the, at the region that uh, where um, Elkhorn City and Hellier are, that that region between Virginia and Kentucky is the very highest uh, has the very highest rate of psychosis in the country. And so Somerset is only slightly less than that, but it's a funnel for these places, right? And so it, in, in that sense, it's also not surprising that violence is associated with it. Now, what would cause that? It, I think it is the, it, it could be the electromagnetic energy. There is a correlation between the electromagnetic energy and, um, and psychosis. This was found in studies of the, Japanese suicide forest there uh, even th- this is even true on a daily basis the, the one of the studies in in that study looked at days of peak geomagnetic energy and and the and the um the corresponding rate of suicide and it was there was a correlation even on a day-to-day basis so if you think of a place like we're in where you're sustaining this 
this uh, electromagnetic anomaly every day. Yeah, it has to have some psychological impact if it's if it's uh, having an impact there, you know. So um, I do think there's something about that. I think that it's sort of the perfect storm of all of these things at the same time. You know, it's it's not only. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a cultural history of violence, but there's also a predisposition to violence because of the the rate of psychosis here. At the time that I discovered the Kentucky Anomaly, my wife and I were living in Lexington, Kentucky, soon after we moved to her hometown of Somerset. And one of the first things that I heard about when we moved to Somerset were all of these crazy stories about these unsolved murders Extreme acts of violence seem to be part of the local folklore here, part of the town's identity, or at least its unacknowledged identity. Maybe it was because of the long history of bloody conflicts in this area. In addition to multiple Civil War battles, there are tales of a massacre of Native Americans near Cumberland Falls. And in the modern era, there have been beheadings, immolations, and assassinations seemingly concentrated on the Pennyroyal, with Somerset at the heart of it all. So knowing the presence of the Kentucky Anomaly, that it exists here, that it's centered on Pulaski County and Somerset, it's hard not to ask the question, could the intense geomagnetic fields be contributing to an overall increase in violence here in Somerset and Pulaski County and on the Pennyroyal? It also began to occur to me that the Kentucky Anomaly might also be responsible for attracting groups that seek out places for their perceived power and energy. They built sacred sites where ley lines intersected or built mounds and underground chambers. And when the church imposed its rule and expanded its reach and squashed the pagans, many of these sacred sites were torn down and cathedrals and churches were erected on top of them. And all of that makes me wonder if there wasn't an occult history here in this area that was covered up or paved over. Are there strange forces at work on the Pennyroyal? And are those strange forces affecting the people who live here in unexpected ways? I think so. And I think the world is a lot stranger than I thought it was before I started looking at this. If anyone is investigating the paranormal or exploring a deeper aspect of reality, the Pennyroyal is fertile ground. We've barely scratched the surface of the mountain of stories that we've recorded and compiled about strange experiences and events here in Somerset and throughout this region. And we'll be making all of our research available to those who want to delve deeper into the Pennyroyal mystery. Ufologists will probably argue that it's aliens. Cryptozoologists will argue that it's fairies or goblins or maybe even Bigfoot. And I'm sure there are a lot of people, some of whom have been closely involved in this story, that will say that magic is at the heart of this. And I think the more agnostic-minded would argue that an intelligence organization may be involved, and that all of this, including this investigation, is just some sort of disinformation campaign or intelligence operation. At some point, all of these things have been suggested to me by someone looking at this story, and they all feel just as likely to be the culprits as alien space bats. I know what I believe to be the underlying force at work, and I don't think that it's a divergence from reality. If anything, it's a consequence of reality and the physical laws of the world we live in. It's too simple and easy to point the finger at the supernatural 
or the occult to explain things we don't understand. And I think we do ourselves a disservice in not trying to locate that answer and observe it. But before we get to those answers and those observations, we've got to lay the foundation for understanding them. And that means understanding the darker forces that come into play in the Pennyroyal story. Because though this story began with meteorites, this investigation started years before when I first heard stories about the unsolved murders of a young woman and boy and rumors of a cult that included politicians and professionals and people in power in this town, in this place. Penny Royal is written and produced by your host, Nathan Paul Isaac. Associate producers are Darian West and Kyle Cadell. Original musical score by Philip Clonch. Edited and mixed by Boone Williams. Sponsored by Jarfly Brewing Company and the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center. If you're interested in joining the investigation and diving deeper into the story, visit pennyroyalpodcast.com and support the show by becoming a member of the Liminal Lodge. Thanks for listening and keep digging.